This morning's reading is from uh, Genesis chapter 22, um, starting at verse ni- uh, 1 through to 19. Um, you'll find that on page 20 of the Church Bible, and you can follow along on the leaflet and also on the screen. So, from verse 1 Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife and to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, The Lord Will Provide. And to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Well, once again, great to be with you today. Uh, and we also have a, an outline of what we're going to be covering, the leaflet. So if you're a note taker or just want some idea of where we're heading, that, that should help you. Can I just... Uh, it, it's a, quite a confronting sort of story, isn't it? So let me pray that God will help us understand uh, how he wants to teach us and to help us follow the Lord Jesus as we listen to this. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a gracious God, that you uh, you speak to us, and sometimes we have uh, passages like this which uh, cause us to ask a whole stack of questions. We pray that as we uh, reflect on it together, we'll be drawn close to you and your heart's purposes for us and for your world, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, today we often hear horrible or tragic or cruel stories of things that people do in the name of faith. Uh, 
uh, terrorists who strap bombs to little children, send them into crowds in order to wreak havoc on others. I know of situations where members of families who've uh, changed uh, faith, moved in terms of their thinking about what they believe, where the families have sought to uh, persecute them and even kill them uh, in the name of God. Uh, But to be fair, uh, the Christian faith has examples uh, that compare. Uh, We had friends who were missionaries in Africa and they came across a girl who was suffering with, with AIDS. Uh, she'd been sexually abused, raped, and uh, contracted AIDS, and they were treating her with the medications to try and support her. A uh, Christian sort of travelling evangelist came into town with his tent, big meeting, invited people forward to pray for them. Uh, this girl went forward, uh, he prayed for her and said that she had been healed of her AIDS, and that to demonstrate the fact that she had been healed, she needed to go off her medication uh, because God had healed her. She needed to express faith in the fact that that had happened. Our friends who are medical missionaries tried to persuade the girl that, that in fact, from what they could see, she had not been healed at all. Uh, All the indications were like that, but she insisted on going off her medications, and her health just went down the tubes as a result. Uh, Christians are not exempt And as you come to Genesis chapter 22, we see here an example. You may think this this is a man trying to impress God with how much faith he has. Abraham, is this one of those sort of stories? Because it seems to be a bizarre uh, demonstration of faith. But you actually can't come to that conclusion. And the reason you can't is because it's not some person creating... Uh, demonstration of faith to impress God. This is God speaking very clearly and instructing this activity. Let me remind you again, Genesis 22 verse 2. Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, I will show you. This is God speaking clearly to Abraham and giving him instructions to take this step. But it still jars, doesn't it? I mean, if, if you know, uh, one of the married women here came up to me after the service and said, I felt inspired by that story in Genesis 22, and I feel that God is telling me to go home and get a gun and shoot my husband, right? I'm not likely to say, I perceive you are a woman of great faith, right? And I'm likely to say, have you got marriage problems, right? And do we need to trust? Do you understand? So it's, even when you understand it's God, it still is puzzling, isn't it? It still is odd. It's odd for a few reasons, I think. One is because uh, in the Old Testament, God clearly and explicitly, time and time and time again, says he is opposed to child sacrifice. So that's the first thing, you know, the character of God. But the other thing is you know, as you work through this section of the Bible, uh, that this is a command from God which explicitly contradicts a promise. Let me remind you how it works. Remember back in chapter 11, we discovered that Sarah is barren. She cannot have children. In chapter 12, Abraham is promised huge numbers of descendants. We get to chapter 17, and Abram is about 100 years old, Sarah is about 90 years old, and God reiterates the promise that he will will have a son. They'll have a son together. And this son's name will be 
Isaac. In Genesis 21, Isaac is born. And we know throughout this section that God's plans for the salvation of the whole world revolve around this child, Isaac. And God says, this child, Isaac, through whom I'm going to bless the whole world, Abraham, I want you to take him out and kill him. Do you understand that it just runs counter to everything he's been hearing from God? And in fact, that's almost the point. Notice again verse 2, where God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son. Uh, The scholars tell me that uh, this is a gentle request. It's a, please take your son, your only son, the one I know you love, take him. And it's underlined. Notice it says your only son. If you'd read through this section of the Bible, you would know actually Abraham has another son. His name is Ishmael through Hagar. But the point here is that Isaac is the only son through whom God's plans and purposes are going to come to fulfilment. Take that son, that only son, take him out to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. Now, do you understand the tension here uh, comes after 10 chapters and Abraham finds himself torn between the divine promise from God and the command that would nullify the promise. Torn between the promise and the command to kill his son. Let me just take a a closer look at the details with you before we try and work out how it lands for us today. I want you to notice Abraham's response in verse 3. Earlier the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. Now, you know how he must be feeling at this point. You don't have to guess about that. We also know that Abraham in the past has known how to have a good argument with God. Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, keeps bidding with God in terms of the numbers of people who might be there in that city who deserve to be saved. And yet here, he has no hesitation. Uh, There's immediate uh, prompt obedience. And for three days, they travelled to the mountain. And you can just imagine the, the tension that rises with every step they take towards that destination. They arrive, Isaac gets to carry the wood that he's to be burnt on. And then you get verse 7. Isaac spoke up and he said to his father Abraham, Father, yes my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now that's That's a question designed to pierce a father's heart. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now, what's going on here? Is he just trying to fob him off with some sort of answer? Like when my primary school age kids say, Dad, where did I come from? And I say, Calvary Hospital, son. You know, like, is it that sort of fob off? I don't think that's what's going on. Abraham is not sure how God is going to answer or meet the need. 
But he is confident that God will step into this crisis and that he'll keep his word. So you get to the top, and Abraham ties up Isaac. He's ready to kill him. We get to verses 11 and 12. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. And a ram is provided by God and Abraham names the place. Verse 14. Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. So there it is. Now here we are, we sit in the 21st century. Uh, What do we learn from this? Is there any application, you know, to the Christian life that we can perceive? You know, perhaps that's sort of a lesson for parents, you know, if you're having trouble with your kids, you know, take them from an annual journey up to Mount Lofty and have a ceremonial reading of Genesis 22, you know, should keep them in line for just a little while. You know, what, what do we learn from this sort of situation? Three things I just want to focus on for just a few minutes. Firstly, let me say this is the God who tests. The God who tests. I want you to notice that I skipped over the first verse in Genesis 22. See what it says? Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Tested Abraham. Now, what, what is going on here? Is this some sort of um, you know, divine game to see how much Abraham loves God? Is that the sort of test that's going on? You know... Uh, how much do you love me, Abraham? Jump this high, jump this high. Do you really love me more than you love your son? You know, take him out and kill him. Is that the sort of thing that God is doing here? Prove you love me. Can I say that God is not like that? God is not petty. God is not mean. He does not destroy the things we love or the things that we enjoy. That is not in his character. However, let me say God does want to grow Abraham and he does want to grow us in our trust in him, in our relationship with him. The main goal that God has for us in this life is not that we, uh, we have a happy, uh, pleasant life that we enjoy with all the the toys that we might like and the personal fulfilment that we ask for, that that is not God's primary purpose for us in this world. His main purpose is to bring us into relationship with himself and then to grow us stronger in that relationship. And the reality is that the Bible says that God consistently does that through testing, uh, through suffering, Uh, through difficulties and through trials. Listen to what what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, a chapter that speaks about the fallen nature of our world and the promise of God 
to be at work even in the midst of struggles. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. They've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. If you're like me, you would avoid difficulty and heartache, uh, pain and suffering. Uh, I like being happy, not having financial troubles or conflicts. Uh, But over the years I've become aware that growing more like Jesus is not pain-free or struggle-free. Remember when... um, our eldest son had chronic fatigue from age 15 to 25. And I came home uh, one day and he was lying on the lounge. Hadn't been at school now for, I don't know, a year or something. And I, I said, I said, mate, what have, yeah, what have you been up to today? And he was lying prone on the way he said, oh, this is basically it. And, uh, and I said, well, yeah, why don't you um, get up and just you know, play the guitar for a bit? And he said, Dad, if, if, if I could do that, I would. And I remember as a father thinking, oh. You know, I'd, I'd been praying that he would get healed and restored. Uh, but he was going through this agonising time. It was just terrible. Later on, uh, when he started recovering uh, from this illness, I remember him being interviewed. At a, at a conference that he was able to attend. He was asked about having chronic fatigue and, uh, and about his, his thinking about the fact that God had not healed him from it. And I remember him saying that, you know, if, if I had my time again, would I not get chronic fatigue? And he said, well, in some ways, yes, but in so many ways... I've been deepened in my trusting God through this process in a way that would never have occurred if I hadn't been sick for this period of time. God does promise to work for our good in and through all circumstances. He does not promise ease of life. In fact, he guarantees that in the struggles he will shape us more like his son. I remember reading an article by John Piper who'd been suffering with cancer and the article was uh, make the most of your cancer. He wasn't saying cancer was good but he was saying see it as not outside the hand of God and understand the way in which God will use even those sort of situations. God tests second thing I want to focus on is uh, the, the nature of faith. Christians are constantly confused about what it means to have faith. I often hear people talk as if you have uh, more faith, then you'll see more answers to prayers and more miracles. And actually at the end, the focus of faith becomes them 
and how much they have. It becomes quite a self-referencing sort of thing. Can I say that when we come to the Bible, faith is always about trusting and obeying God, and that being your focus. If you have a promise from God, then you can be absolutely confident that God will keep his word. When you're in a situation where there is no promise, then you can be absolutely confident that you can still trust a faithful God. No question. Now, you understand Abraham's problem here? He had a promise from God and a command from God that seemed to go in conflict with the promise. That was the difficulty that he faced. So his promise was, Abraham, you'll have Isaac, and through Isaac and his descendants, the whole world will be blessed. That is the promise. And then you have the command, kill Isaac. Promise and command, intention. Hebrews chapter 11 uh, reflects on Abraham and the nature of faith at this point and his expectations. Hebrews 11. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive him back from the dead. Abraham proceeds even though he doesn't know exactly how God will resolve this dilemma. But he trusts God. What about us when it comes to questions of faith? Sometimes I have visited people, for example, in hospital, and they've said to me uh, something like, I am believing by faith that God will heal me. Now, I have a, a level of pastoral sensitivity, so this is not what I say, but this is what I'm thinking, right? Just, just in case you're ever tempted to say this when I visit you, right? Uh, but this is what I'm thinking. Why are you believing by faith God will heal you? Do you understand? I'm asking the question, why? Because do you have a promise that that is the case? And most often... That isn't the case. I used to do uh, a lot of gymnastics. Uh, I used to do backflips and somersaults and all sorts of... I can still walk on my hands, all right? Even though I'm at such an aged stage of life, all right? But let me say, it's more difficult to walk on my hands these days because I have a bursa in my shoulder, right? Which gives me pain when I do it. I, I'm in my 50s, right? And the reality is I'm sagging, bagging and balding, right? Everything is just getting closer to the ground. Uh, you know, gravity is winning, you know. It's the ultimate victor when it comes to these sort of things. And you know what? It's not going to get any better, right? You normally don't improve in health and fitness as you get older. That's just the reality of living in this world. Can I say God has not promised that I won't get old. He has not promised my body will not decay or wear out. He has not promised that when I'm sick in hospital, he will heal me. But friends, he has promised that he will raise me to eternal life 
and that he will raise all those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to life eternal. That is guaranteed, and you can bank on that. I remember a number of years ago, actually, visiting a guy who used to live just around the corner from here, Jack Sharrod. Some of you may even know Jack. He used to live in Arkaba Road, I think. And uh, Jack was in hospital. He was regularly in hospital because he had to have his, his kidney sort of cleaned out. And uh, the doctor said he should have, should have been dead about 15 years before. So at this stage, he was in his 80s, going in for his eighth opera- operation on his kidneys. And I went to visit him, and I took Ben with me. Uh, ben was about eight, eight at the time. And we went to the room, and, and I asked Jack how he was feeling and how I could pray for him. And uh, he said, well, I've been through this all before, but then he focused on Ben, it's as if I wasn't there, my eight-year-old son. He said, Ben, he said, the good thing is I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, if the operation is successful, I will get to, to live and to serve him. And if it's not successful and I die, I'll be with Jesus forever. That's the reality. And I can see Ben going, you know, like this, as this 85-year-old man tutored him in the key things to know and the key promises of God. Now, hear me very clearly. I am not saying that God does not want us to pray for people to be healed. I'm not saying that God does not heal people. He does heal people. I'm not saying those sort of things. What I am saying is that he has not promised that he will heal you from every sickness or illness or disease that you have. Friends, faith is trusting God's word, trusting his promises. When you have no specific word from God about a situation, then you trust a trustworthy God because he is always faithful and trustworthy. Final reflection just on on this passage is, this is the Lord who provides, the Lord who provides. It's a statement that's actually repeated a couple of times in this chapter as you go through. Chapter 22, verse 8. God himself will provide, Abraham says to his son. Then you get to chapter 22, verse 14. And we're told, Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it's said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The Lord will provide. Literally what it means is the Lord sees the need and he meets it. Sees the need and he meets it. There's one part of this story that puzzled me for quite a long time. There's lots of puzzles in it. But let me tell you about one thing in particular that I wrestle with. Why does God stretch out the agony for Abraham and for Isaac? He makes him travel three days in order to execute his son. Could have just taken him outside and done it straight away. Three days on a journey to a mountain in the region of Mount Moriah to kill Isaac. Mount Moriah is mentioned uh, one other time in the Old Testament that I, I can find. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. Listen. 
Listen carefully to where this is located. Then Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Do you understand that Abraham spoke more truly than he realised? 1,500 plus years later, another son made a trip up a mountain in the same location. Another son who started out with the wood on his back that he'd be sacrificed on. Another son, the only beloved son, the descendant of Abraham and Isaac, the bearer of the promise of God. But on this occasion, God did provide and didn't withhold his own hand when it came to the death of his own son as a sacrifice, a sacrifice for our sin and the sin of the whole world so that we might experience the blessing of God that he had promised to Abraham. Listen to how Paul the Apostle captures uh, the language and the emotion of Genesis chapter 22 when he speaks about it in Romans chapter 8. Listen to the echoes. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He'll bring any charge against those whom God has chosen. Friends, this is, is Jehovah Jireh. This is the God who has seen our greatest need and he has met it in his son. He sent his son, his only beloved son, and he did not withhold death from him, but allowed him to be sacrificed for us all. The sacrifice for the sin of the whole world. Friends, this is a God uh, you can always trust. Uh, through the highs and the joys and the delights of life, but also this is the God you can always trust in the valleys because he has proven himself beyond a shadow of a doubt as the God who can be trusted and who does provide. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, this passage, although so evocative and um, and so uh, strongly uh, developing the emotions as we, we read it. And yet, Father, it takes us to the very heart of who you are as a heavenly Father who provides, a Father we can trust, a Father who's proven faithful throughout all generations. And, Father, we pray that we will be people who, who live by faith, people who trust your promises, people who trust you. And for, Father, we know we don't always get the picture, we don't always fully understand what you're doing, but we thank you that you have guaranteed that in all circumstances you're at work for those who trust you, for our good, 
Father, help us to keep believing those truths, even when we don't feel them sometimes, even when we don't understand, but to know that the one who has given his only son, his only beloved son, for us, uh, that you can be trusted. Now, Father, we thank you that this is true, and we thank you for your promises to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.